oh, there's some excitement. They obviously don't know us. Oh, hey there. They obviously don't know us. They only gave us one music stand. We do work together, but there are boundaries. Oh, do you want to be on this side? For those of you who do not know us, uh, we are Michael and Caitlin Alsup. Uh, we've been uh, here at Gaten for 10 years now. Uh, this is really uh, what we call church home. Uh, there's a picture of us um, uh, talking about our history. Can we have that? A picture of us as children. Tiny children. Coming. Maybe not. If not, it's a really... Nope, nope. not that one. Yeah. That one. Believe it or not, that's us. <laughs> so we have a little bit of a past. We've known each other for quite a while now. Uh, I think this picture, I was like four and Caitlin was like three. We weren't dating at the time. Uh, we, do, we do believe in arranged marriages. We're okay with that. Um, but uh, we have grown up together in the church. Caitlin's dad is a pastor, and we went to church together growing up. Uh, we followed each other uh, to college. Uh, and then got married, and then came and started our life here at Gaten. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I was actually the high school youth pastor here at Gaten uh, for three years, uh, from 2010 to 2013. This is a little picture of that season of my life hanging upside down. Um, this was in a gym in Accomack County on the eastern shore. We were doing mission projects over there, uh, and Caitlin laughing with a, with a bunch of girls. And Oh, look at that. Pastor Mike coming oh, in clutch. Thank you. We're not well at sharing. We're fine. We're fine. I just have a lot of stuff, and I need room. Um, Very nice. So, yeah, so so that was a season of our life uh, being there. We Even when I stepped down from that position, uh, we stayed here and got plugged in in different areas of the church. Uh, and we've entered a new season of life, a season of growing our family. Uh, you may notice that my head is cut out of that top picture. Um, I'm not offended by that. We are wedding photographers. I think he is. I think he is offended. He I brought it up at the first here. service, yeah. and uh, she tells me it's artsy. But uh, So that's me up there, if you can't tell. Um, that's me looking down at my kids, not smiling at the It's okay. It's artsy. It's artsy. Um, this is our oldest uh, daughter, Evie. She is turning three in three days, two days now, two days. Uh, and then baby Graham is almost 10 months old. And so it's just a, a sweet season in our life. We actually actually have a son who is in heaven, baby James. A lot of you know that story, and we'll go into that a little bit, a little bit later on in the talk. So like Michael mentioned, I'm a PK, I'm a preacher's kid. And um, and I, I feel like, you know, I've mentioned this before, that uh, a lot of preacher's kids have, um, there's two extremes. There's like, they go crazy, or like, they've never really seen the real world. They've been so sheltered, and we did not grow up that way. We had this beautiful experience um, with our dad leaving our home church, and he's been there for 30 years, and we lived life day in and day out at our church, and our church family was our family, and um, and we grew up and entered life, got married, and, and knew that, like, we always wanted to raise our family in a church dynamic like what we grew up with because we were so blessed by that. Um, but what happened uh, subconsciously is, uh, I didn't realize this, but um, because I had been a preacher's kid my whole life, and then as soon as I was married, I was married to someone on staff of the church. In my mind, um, I started realizing, oh my gosh, I really think that like, I don't know how 
have impact outside of being married to someone on staff. It seems like that's been my whole life, and like that is the position I have to be in in order to impact the world. Like that is um, ministry happens in the in the church, and that's what I had experienced. And sure, we had gone on mission trips, and we had gone on retreats, and we had small groups, but there's something that happens. Um, if that's all you ever experience, you can start to sometimes think to yourself that that is where God does work. And then you just do your normal everyday life. You get a job, you go to college, you have some friends outside of church and outside of those events. But the God stuff happens at that stuff. And I, I really believe that. And I don't even think I realized how much I believed it until the season of our life came where the business that I had started when I was 20 years old uh, in college, I was at CNU, started this little business and um, thought like, oh, maybe I could do this as a part-time job. It blew up in my face in a very good way, um, but it was growing so fast that I was having trouble seeing him. We were newlyweds. We never saw each other. We were so busy. I was traveling a lot, and I was thinking about hiring somebody to work with me full-time, to travel with me, to shoot with me, and to run this business with me, And um, which meant I was going to be away from him even more. And we felt like God was maybe calling us to work together. Michael felt that way before I did. Because in my mind, I seriously thought, like, you cannot leave this position with the church. Because where will we give our life away? Where will we impact people? You can't leave ministry for us to just go be picture takers. Like, you can't, we can't do that. Um, I was very, I kind of joke about it now because it seems so um, simple, but it was a big deal. We spent nine months doing research, talking to parents, talking to other wiser, older people. We went to California to talk to other couples who worked in business together in photography businesses to try to discern if it was, it was the right decision or not. And once we knew that God was calling us to this, then we had to wrestle with the idea of God, how can we do ministry in this new marketplace? This is so unknown to us. I'm not, I can't imagine myself sitting down with someone and sharing the gospel with them after they walk down the aisle. That's not going to work. But I had such a limited view of ministry in the marketplace. So before we get started, I know it's dark. I literally can only see you four and you six. So I can't see everybody, but it'll be very easy then. Close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes, and I want you to try to visualize what your own marketplace is, because that's what we're going to talk about. You're going to hear that word a lot. Try to visualize tomorrow morning, afternoon, I don't know, whatever is happening on your calendar. Maybe start by that. Think about your calendar this week. Who are you going to interact with? Who's the first client, first meeting? Which kid do you see first in the morning? What mom's group will you meet up with? Maybe you're volunteering somewhere. Who do you volunteer with? What tasks do you have to do? What errands do you have to do? What is your marketplace? What does it look like? Is it a cubicle? Is it a conference room? Is it working from home but talking to a lot of people? Try to visualize that and keep that image, that person, that setting in your mind as we continue this morning. You can open your eyes. What you just visualized is what I want you to focus on. We're actually going to look at a passage of scripture um, where Jesus um, does his ministry in the exact opposite way that we thought that we had to. It's funny, I think about this talk and I'm like, this is such simple stuff. People are not going to get anything out of this. It's so simple. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Jesus was simple. 
Jesus simplified everything. We are the ones that complicate it. So Jesus has a simple example of going out into his own marketplace, and Michael's going to introduce the passage. Yeah, so if you have your Bible, we're going to be turning uh, to Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 12. Um, but before we do that, I love how Pastor Mike uh, precedes Scripture with prayer, so if you'd pray with me. God, we thank you so much for your word and your impact on our lives, God. God, we pray this morning as we dig into your word, God, that you would speak to us. God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us this morning. God, we pray that everything that we say and that we do, it would be glorifying to you. And it's also in your name. Amen. So a little background on Luke. Um, Caitlin and I lead a small group and we're reading through the book of Acts, which was also written by Luke. And, and we know that um, through Luke's style of writing, that he's very detail-oriented. And it turns out that Luke was a doctor, and we want our doctors to be detail-oriented. So that's a good thing. Um, Luke starts out, you know, with the birth of Jesus. We kind of get a little bit of his childhood. And then we get into his older years where he's about to start his ministry. He gets tempted by the devil. He gets baptized by John the Baptist. And he starts ministry. And like in chapter 3 or 4, you see Jesus go to the temple in his hometown. And you're like, okay, here we go. We're going to church. Like, that's how this works. Okay, Jesus, I see. And Jesus is reading a prophecy from Isaiah and basically says, like, that prophecy, that thing that they foretold, it just happened because I'm here. And you think, like, Mike dropped Jesus or scroll dropped Jesus, you know. And, and, and we, we see, and you're like, yes, Jesus is here. Like, it's happening. Ministry is happening. But the people in the temple didn't know what to do with that. And there's actually a, a story in the Bible where they push him up a hill. And Pastor Mike, I remember I was talking with him the other day about this, that, that he has been to this hill that they think that the crowd like shovel, uh, shuffled Jesus up to with the intention to push him off the cliff. They're like, who is this guy claiming to fulfill prophecies? And the crazy thing about that story is that, that the Bible says that Jesus just walked through the, the crowd and went on his way. Like, these people are, like, actively pushing him. He's just like, no, I'm not. How did that happen? Yeah. How did he just walk I'd love to see that. Um, but that's, that's the scene that we're in. Um, Jesus has left that experience. He has uh, collected a few disciples, some fishermen. Um, and now we pick up in chapter 12, or sorry, chapter 5, verse 12, um, with this story. While Jesus was in one of the towns, his marketplace, a man came along and was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more. And so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. So starting off here, point number one, Jesus touched the untouchable. We see in verse 12, when Jesus was in one of these towns, a man came along, was covered with leprosy. And when the man saw Jesus, he fell with his face on the ground and begged him, Lord, if you were willing, you can make me clean. I remember... Um, before I started my job at Gaten, I was in an internship down in North Carolina. I knew that I wanted to go into ministry, 
but had, had gone all my college career of like being a history major, wanting to be a history teacher, and I just had this shift my senior year, like, no, I want to go work in the church. But I didn't really feel ready for that. I, I wasn't ready to go into seminary necessarily, and I remember being down in North Carolina. It was in the summer. We were running summer camps for high school church youth groups, and I got a call that my pawpaw uh, was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, also, I am a crier. I tell this every time. If I cry, I'm fine. Nothing is wrong. Any other sensitive guys in the room, I can't see you. I know there's a lot of hands raised. Um, but I remember, I remember leaving camp and going uh, to Pawpaw's house, and um, we're sitting there having dinner. And um, I go in his study, and we know that he's going to die. Like, we know that it's the end. And my dad comes in. He's like, hey, you want any of these books? And I'm like, oh, yeah, what are you going to do with them? Like, throw them away? Like, I'll take all of them. Um, and I want to introduce, this is just a little commentary from the 1950s that Pawpaw had that um, was written by a guy named William Barclay. Uh, Barclay's goal in writing these commentaries was just to give everyday people a clear picture and context about what the scriptures are talking about. And um, anytime I speak, whoa, this wasn't this bad in the first service. <laughs> anytime I speak, I, I look through these. Um, so I'm going to read part of that, and I'm not going to cry while I do it. So in Palestine, there were two kinds of leprosy. There was one which was rather like a very bad skin disease. I need to stand with the light. And it was, a, it was the less serious of the two. There was one that the disease started from a small spot and ate away at the flesh until the wretched sufferer was left with only a stump of a hand or a leg. It was literally a living death. The regulations concerning leprosy are in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. The most terrible thing about leprosy was the isolation it brought. The leper was to cry, unclean, unclean, wherever he went. He was to dwell alone. Without the camp shall be his habitation, Leviticus 13, 45 says. He was banished from society of men and exiled from home. The result was and still is that that of the psychological consequences of leprosy were just as serious as the physical. Dr. A.B. McDonald in an article on the leper colony in Itu of which he was in charge writes, The leper is sick in the mind as well as the body. For some reason there's an attitude towards leprosy that's different from the attitudes towards any other disfiguring disease. It's associated with shame and horror and carries in some mysterious way a sense of guilt, although innocently acquired like most contagious troubles. Shunned and despised, frequently do lepers consider taking their own lives, and some do. The leper was hated by others until he came to hate himself. That is the kind of man who came to Jesus. He was unclean, and Jesus touched him. Here is a tremendous truth. Jesus touched the untouchable. Jesus' hand went out to the man from whom everyone else would have shrunk away. Two things emerge. First, when we despise ourselves, when our hearts are filled with bitter shame, let us remember that in spite of the shame, Christ's hand is still stretched out. Second, it is of the very essence of Christianity to touch the untouchable, to love the unlovable, and to forgive the unforgivable. Jesus did so, and so must we. I'm going to get it together here soon, guys. Um, <laughs> whoo, um, 
you know, and as we read that, Kayla and I were preparing for this talk, and, you know, we're thinking, like, gosh, I don't know anybody with leprosy. Like, I don't, how do I, how do I relate to this? Like, what is God trying to speak through us to you? And we thought about replacing the word untouchable with unreachable, that, that there are people in our lives that we have just written off and thought, man, there's no way. There's no hope. Um, we create stories in our mind about what is possible and what's not possible. A lot of us hear the invitation to be ministers in the marketplace, and we shut that idea down because we believe it's not possible. Those coworkers, those clients, your boss, your peers, your friends at school, they don't know and they don't care about Jesus, or so you think. We decide without trying that people are either disengaged or too far gone. That's how society viewed this man. He was an outcast. He wasn't even allowed in society. Consider who in, you, who in your life you view as untouchable or unreachable. We made up stories and told ourselves that clients of ours were that way, that, that we were there literally to provide a service of taking pictures, that life change only happens through ministry. Again, we both grew up in the church. We knew how to do ministry really well within the church. And we were good at it, and we loved it. And then we got put in a situation where it's like, oh, it's just us, and these people, and we're supposed to love them, and how does that work? And we had to figure that out. We want to introduce you uh, to a couple named Ryan and Laura. There's a photo of them. This is them on their wedding day. Um, it looks all sweet and innocent, um, but there's another picture uh, of Ryan and Laura. This was at their engagement session. The next photo, Ryan was quite a character, uh, to say the least. Um, Caitlin and I met them in downtown Baltimore. Uh, it's crazy, you know, like right before the sun sets, uh, people are getting out of work, people are walking around the streets. We're kind of crunched for time. It's a little overcast. And Caitlin asked Ryan to laugh up at Laura, and that left picture is what we got. Okay. And hold on, it's not your turn yet. Okay. You know, or... We say, you know, give us a model face, like just let your lips go together and make sure right here isn't tight and just stare right into the camera. And, you know, blue steel is what he gives us. And there's points in engagement sessions where um, they do one outfit and then Caitlin normally photographs the bride's engagement ring and the couple goes and changes clothes for the second outfit, like the second half of the session. So the couple goes away, they're in a bathroom, you know, in a Starbucks somewhere changing clothes. And I go up to Caitlin and I can just tell she is not happy. Like, she is frustrated, and, and, and I'll let her pick up the story from there. Okay, first of all, there, we've been doing this for a while. I mean, at the time, I've been doing this for half a decade. I've been doing it for over a decade now. I have never found anybody that we can't make look good in front of a camera. <laughs> like, the things we say, the way, there's way more to it than give me a model face. Like, we, really, we just all we pulled out all the stops, and that's what we were getting. And... I was very frustrated. I, I thought to myself, not what is wrong with me, because surely I'm not messing something up. What is wrong with this man? He will not cooperate. Um, and it was funny at first. But when you go through about, and I know there's some photographers here in the room, when you go through about like 20, 30 minutes of like, this is the reaction to everything you say, um, you get real tired of it real quick. Um, it wasn't just that I wasn't getting what I needed. I mean, I'm sure their parents were the ones that invested thousands of dollars for these photos. 
and I needed to provide them with like the best of the best. So I feel the pressure and I also feel disrespected, honestly. Um, I felt like the way he was joking, it, it almost came across as not just, I'm trying to not take this seriously, but it was rude. Anyway, I, I had a hard time with it and we were in this season. We had just started working together. We had just said, Lord, if you are going to make us not just picture takers, but life changers, then show us how that happens. Give us opportunities, but you be careful what you pray for. Because when we were doing the ring shots, Michael and I talked and we're like, we have an opportunity. We can either choose if he comes back and he is not different. Uh, if something didn't miraculously happen in the Starbucks bathroom, if he's still acting like this, we can love him. And we can choose to not assume the worst in him, that he's just being a jerk. We could assume to believe the best in him. Maybe, maybe he's under, misunderstood by a lot of people. Maybe he's actually pretty uncomfortable and doesn't know what to do. And this is a cry for help. He's not trying to be rude. He just doesn't know what else to do. And he's trying to actually connect with us. And it's just coming across in a way that was unexpected to us. Maybe we should try loving him where he is. Not trying to make him different so he's lovable to us, but just love him the way he is. Joke back with him. Let him be hilarious. Let him know that we think he's hilarious. Maybe that's the role he plays in all of his friend groups. Let's just love him like Jesus did and see what, see what happens. Cool thing is, once we decided this, it didn't just change the way that we started interacting with him. Visually, something changed. The next slide, you'll see he went to more like this which that's what Laura wanted. That's what any girl that's engaged, that's what she dreams of, a photo of her fiancé looking at her like that. That's the ultimate goal. And I think what's interesting for me is that all of that happened just because we decided to say, I'm just willing to believe there's something else that's possible here. I'm willing to believe that there's not just a negative side to him, but maybe this, this could turn around. Maybe we should try loving him a little different. And that brings us to our point, too, is that Jesus was willing. Jesus was willing. In verse 13, it says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing, be fed, be clean. And immediately, immediately the leprosy left him. But before we're, just, we're able to say, I'm willing to start viewing my marketplace differently, we have to have a why for the willingness. Because you can't just leave here and go to work tomorrow, go to your own marketplace, whatever that looks like in your own life. It's not enough for you to say, Caitlin and Michael said I should try this out. I'm telling you, it's, it's not easy to shift your mindset completely about the way you view your life. That's not easy to do. So we have to have a, a why and a desire before we can just say, yep, I'm willing to give this a try. So in our life, uh, Michael and I have had a, um, a life coach for a matter of years and it's been awesome and she you know we all know what a mission statement or a vision is right we, we know what that looks like um, this is just a different take on creating a vision for your life Michael and I in, in 2013 back when we were leaving youth ministry entering into working together we wanted to change like we wanted to have more impact out of fear we were fearful that we weren't going to be impactful it wasn't even necessarily all centered around, around Christ, it was, it was like, we, we don't want to have a purposeless life. It was out of fear. But now, it's because we know what we're committed to cause. 
and that's the new, um, a new fresh way to look at vision for your life. And to explain that, every single one of you is causing something in your life, whether you know it or not. So like when you go to lunch and have a conversation with someone, you're, you're causing something to happen. Um, and a lot of times we live our whole life and we're unaware of what we're causing with our life. Um, some way to look at this that may be a little more simpler is to think of the fruits of the Spirit. Am I causing joy? Am I causing hope? Honestly, in my own life, if I want to be real honest and vulnerable, I'm a peacekeeper. I love peacefulness, but I also am a control freak. So I okay. I struggle with the two. And you know what's interesting? Until this concept of really figuring out what I'm committed to cause really settled into my heart, I was actually pushing myself further away from what I wanted to cause. I say in my life that I want to cause peace, but I try to control everything to, to make the peace happen. And when I ask for feedback from people in my life of what I actually am causing with the way that I'm living, I'm actually causing stress because I'm trying so hard to control and cause peace. Mind-blowing. <laughs> so, in, oh, go ahead. Give it a good, a good example. Well, I was just going to give you an example of, of like an office space. How many of us have ever worked in an office that's a little stressful? There you go. I see, I see one hand in the silhouettes. Um, picture this. Everyone is complaining, mad, annoyed, and negative. But what if you're the one who is committed to causing peacefulness? Like you go into that space knowing this is what I want to produce through the power of Christ in me. For Ryan and Laura and all of our couples, we are committed to causing hope in their life, that marriage is something we're fighting for. A lot of times we have clients that come back to us in seasons of hardship, and I don't think they come to us by accident. I think they see a hope that is within us that they desire and want to know more about. Another way to think about this is to ask two questions. What do you want to cause? So again, Caitlin said, fruits of the spirits, love, joy, peace, patience. You know, maybe with our three-year-old, we want to cause some patience because <laughs> patience is running a little thin. Um, and then what are you actually causing, like Caitlin mentioned? What if you're wanting to cause peace, but you're actually causing stress? What if you're wanting to cause unity, but you're actually causing division? What does that look like in our life? And are we willing to have honest conversations about it, to ask for feedback like Caitlin mentioned? That is literally one of the hardest things you can do. To go to your spouse, to your coworker, to your kids. Say, hey, I want to cause love in our relationship. Are you experiencing love from me? I want to cause peace, but you're not causing peace. <laughs> um, it's just some real powerful questions to ask. Yeah, and I think that once you do that work that is more um, focused on yourself, the work in your own heart, you figure out what you want to cause in your life for the sake of the gospel, um, what God's calling you to cause, then all of a sudden you can come back to this and you have a why for your willingness. And once you know what you're committed to, you start to see things differently in your marketplace. You start to not desire to do business the same way. Maybe you want to do it differently than anyone around you is doing, and that's okay. That's the beauty of this. Maybe you want to be more vulnerable in your life. Once you know what you're committed to causing with your life, everything starts to shift. Everything that happens to you, there's a new take on it. 
Everything that you live through, there's a new take on it. And um, I think that's the beauty that God's calling us. He's saying, I was willing with this guy, the guy that people were probably telling Jesus, hey, Jesus, no, 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 you don't want to touch, you don't want to touch him. No one touches him. Do not touch him. You will get leprosy. Don't get close to that guy. And Jesus said, no, that's exactly who I'm going to get. That's who all of us are called to go to get, the untouchable, the unreachable, the person in the family that you're like, oh, you can't talk to him. The person in a friend group that she just steamrolls and she leads all of the gossipy conversations and you know it's not right and you want to make a difference. Jesus is like, go after those conversations. Go after the people you think you can't go after. That's what I'm calling you to. It's interesting, but sometimes being willing in the seemingly insignificant parts of life makes the biggest waves of impact. Me and Michael being at that engagement session and choosing to love a groom, let me just let me just say this. One of the things he said that was so funny, just to paint a picture, we said to him, we said, hey, so how's your bridal party? You know, what's that like? We're just trying to get to know him. And he said, I said, are you having a, a best man? Do you have a best man? And he said, I don't need a best man because I am the best man. We're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Taking a guy with a personality that was very different than ours, and choosing to love him seemed so insignificant. Just like Jesus, he wasn't finding a leper in the alley that was the son of an emperor or a king, a person of power. He didn't heal someone that everyone was watching from afar and like, oh my gosh. He picked someone that was insignificant to society, and that is just the way of Jesus. So wouldn't it make sense that that's the way Jesus would work through you in your marketplace? Ryan and Laura, um, and go back on the screen, their wedding day was beautiful. It was awesome. We had a great experience with them. He actually told us, you, I know your coverage is over, but you can just stay and hang out with us. And I'm like, it's your wedding day. You barely know us, so you just go enjoy your party, okay? But he loved us, and we formed a great relationship. But the interesting part about this story is that two years after that we took this photo, I got a handwritten letter in the mail from Laura sweetest, she's the sweetest girl, and she said, she's like, I'm so sorry, I have been wanting to tell you this for years, I'm just now getting around to writing this out, but I just want to let you know that our engagement session was the first time that we had a positive experience from an outwardly Christian couple. It was the first time in a, that a Christian couple had had patience with us. She did not say patience with Ryan, but I'm assuming that's what she was talking about. But it was the first time that they felt loved like that. Potentially maybe the first time that anyone had pushed through the craziness to really get to know her fiancé for who he truly was. And she said, after our engagement session, Ryan and I decided that we'd try again to find a home church. And I, guys, I don't know. I don't know if they're still at their home church. I don't know if that was a turning point for them. But I'll tell you what, that decision of theirs that stemmed from our decision just to use our marketplace for ministry and not just for making money, that is a God-ordained change. We don't have the power to impact people's hearts. The only thing we have power over is being willing to be willing. When I think about this, I think about, gosh, I thought we were just wedding photographers. We just have really nice cameras, some skill, and some techniques. 
surely we can't change people's lives. And God's like, no. Caitlin, anyone out here, insert your name. God's saying to us, if you will just be willing, I will take that gift that you have, that thing you're really good at, that you've made a career out of. I'll take the career that maybe you're not passionate about, and this isn't the end game for you, but I have people in your life, and I put you in this position. If you're willing, I will blow your mind with what I will do in your life. I will do immeasurably, immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. I'll take your talent. I'll take your story. I'll take everything that has happened to you, and I will use you, and I'll do big things for you if you're willing. Our last point is looking at, at Jesus, and we see in verse 15 uh, that Jesus prayed. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. We realized that it wasn't within our power to make this happen. We knew that we actively had to ask God, God, give us opportunities to do this. God, give us eyes to see the opportunities when they're right in front of us. And honestly, that kind of relieves some pressure on us because it's not like every single client that we book, we think we're going to have this miraculous interaction with. But if something comes up or an opportunity arises, are we willing to step into that conversation? And that's your first step. When you think about the going home and potentially making the marketplace somewhere different than it has been before for you in your life, whether you are in the workforce or whether your marketplace is you go and meet up with girls at Target. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like for you. Some of you are college students. Some of you are high school students. And this still applies to you. You guys leave this room and you live your life. You leave this room and the majority of your life happens out there. And this is just a small example of how if you're willing and you take the step of saying, Lord, I'm praying. I'm going to pray for opportunities. He will give them to you and watch out because this is not just the only example and sometimes it's uncomfortable, but that's the beauty of this. When you offer yourself like, Lord, use me in the place where I've never asked you to use me before, really beautiful things happen. We gave this example. There have been hundreds of others. And I think what's really encouraging to me is that this isn't just about what you can do for others. This is how God wants to bless you. If you look on the screen, this is Grant and Emily. Um, as we close, I just want to share. Um, we shot their engagement session, their wedding. We do cookouts um, at our home for our clients, and they come to those. And with all those memories, all those different times we've been with them and have had fun with them, my favorite time with them was after this dinner. And the next slide. This is a dinner where we met up with them in Fredericksburg. They lost a child at 21 weeks, and we lost a child at 31 weeks. It's really interesting. I forgot to share this upstairs, but the day I gave birth to Graham, which is our rainbow miracle baby after a really hard season, she was in the hospital losing her baby by Lansing. And you would think that that would be awful for her, but and she told me, she's like, actually, we lost Phoenix the day you gave birth to Graham. And I said, Emily, I'm so sorry. And she said, no, don't be. She said, Grant came in and showed me the picture where you announced that he had been born. And I cried and I said, there's hope for us. There's hope for us. 
were holding a baby that didn't survive, but they got their rainbow and they and their rainbow baby and they're cool for us. Our story and our marketplace, if you had told me when they sent their deposit in for us to be their wedding photographers, that four years later we'd be crying and laughing over dinner, sharing stillbirth story experiences, that is an experience in life that I can't talk to many other women about unless you've lived through it. You can't understand it. Talking to this bride, even from a husband perspective, the husbands got to talk about what it was like for them. It was a gift to us. And that's what's so crazy is that when we say, God, use me, he's not going to say, well, I'm going to make you work. He's going to say, thank you, because I've been waiting for you to live your life like this so that I could bless you. Because when you share the hard parts of your life, even though it's scary, you were created for this. You were created for community and intentionality and vulnerability and sharing the hard parts of life and forming community with people. That is what I created you to do, Caitlin. Thank you for going into the marketplace with a different perspective. Better watch out because I'm going to change lives, but I'm also going to bless you in ways you never expected. That is our invitation to you, to not only view your workplace and, and your, your marketplace as a place where you can serve the Lord, but expect that he's going to do amazing things in your own heart. The more that we let God use us, and we fail at this all the time, all the time. But when we have our heart in a good place and God uses us, sure, it is changing other people's lives for the kingdom, but it's blessing ours. It's a gift to us. So something, as we close, I just want to encourage you that the cool thing about choosing to view your marketplace differently is that all of a sudden, when your focus shifts, you regain freedom in other areas. All of a sudden, things aren't as fr that were frivolous don't matter as much. The emails that used to annoy me from clients don't annoy me as much anymore. You have freedom from selfishness. When you turn away from, gosh, this shoot is not going how I wish it would go, to I'm going to try to love him, it changes everything. Selfishness is the most hidden form of slavery. Being all consuming with yourself. And last but not least, you have freedom from failure. How can you fail at what you're doing with your life if your main purpose is, God, I'm choosing today, this hour, this week, Whatever time increment you need to re-choose this every week, I'm choosing, God, I want you to use me. If that is your goal, it doesn't matter what you do to make money. It does not matter what you do to spend your time in your marketplace. You're not going to fail. And there's so much freedom in that. There's peace that comes from that. And I think God is waiting to hand that over to every single one of you. Let me close this in prayer. God, we come to you today with open hearts. God, thank you for the vision of our marketplaces that you've given us. God, may we pray for those around us that we come in contact with, that we know that those people popped in our minds not on accident. God, we ask for boldness and willingness. God, we ask that we would replicate your son Jesus as he went to the unlovable and the untouchable. God, we may we do the same. I pray this all in your name. Amen.